Hey everyone, I'm Randy. And I'm Josh. And this is A New Approach, a podcast about challenging the status quo, embracing new ideas, and taking a new approach towards solving age-old problems. On today's episode, we welcome Marisa Edmondson to the podcast. Marisa is a program and operations manager at the Long Beach Accelerator and is dedicated to supporting and empowering minority entrepreneurs. We talk about the changing landscape of diversity in the startup world, some of the legacy problems that still keep us from making progress, and end with some actionable things that even you can do to support entrepreneurs in your local community. You ready? Let's get into it. All right. Welcome back to A New Approach, everyone. Marisa, thank you so much for being here with us. Before we get started, would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, sure. Thank you guys both for having me. My name is Marisa Edmondson, and I am the Associate Program and Operations Manager currently at the Long Beach Accelerator. Um, I have a master's in social entrepreneurship from the University of Southern California, Marshall School of Business, and um, aspiring entrepreneur. I feel like we need to redo our bios. (laughs) (laughs) We do not deserve to be here. (laughs) I I had to throw everything in there to make me sound impressive. (laughs) No, not at all. You've done such fantastic work uh, through the Accelerator. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background? Yeah, sure. So actually my undergraduate degree is in ethnic studies. I've always had a passion for looking at inequalities in just the black life experience. And the way that I ended up at the Accelerator was learning about venture capital Mm -hmm. and the inequities there for black founders. And so at the Accelerator, we actually focus on underrepresented people in the venture capital landscape and helping them to get access to capital and other resources that they typically don't have access to. And it's so fantastic. I'm very honored to be part of the Long Beach community. Not every accelerator is doing that. In fact, the vast majority of them are not, which is in part the problem, right? Was that a distinct decision that you made before the accelerator really got going? Did you know that as part of this Long Beach ecosystem, you wanted to do that off the bat? Yes. So the accelerator actually was the brainchild of Cal State Long Beach, our funder, which is Sunstone Management, Uh and the city of Long Beach. That was about 2015, 2016, that this was in talks, and our first cohort wasn't until February of 2021. But the idea was to really elevate and expand the entrepreneurial landscape here in Long Beach. And yes, the original idea was to help all the people in Long Beach locally and other underrepresented people that are in this landscape and try to keep it local and increase the economy that we have here locally in Long Beach as well. Yeah, absolutely. Where do you see that that progress happening and what do you further improve on that? It's interesting because we're industry agnostic. Right. And so a lot of our companies come from tons of different industries. We do try to focus on some of the ones that we have direct access to with experts and other subject matter experts in specific areas. So that's like health tech, clean tech, logistics and supply chain, being so close to support. And we do try to focus on those types of companies, but it runs the gamut. So we've also had advertising or not necessarily social media influencers, but like the creator space. We focus on ideas that are tech-based or tech-enabled, and as long as you meet that requirement, um, a couple of the other requirements that make you eligible are being a market opportunity of over a billion dollars, 
um, have to be U.S. incorporated and at a beta phase. So we really focus on the early stage businesses, and those are some of the early criteria that we have for joining the accelerator. What are some of the roadblocks that you're seeing with founders in this space or field across different industries? Accelerator specific for Mm -hmm. us, I would say maybe they're just not at a space yet. And that's not necessarily underrepresented founders either. That's Mm, just companies that apply. They may not just be at the level or ready to join the accelerator. So just very early. And we want to focus on the acceleration of those companies. So they have to be at a certain point that they're ready to do that, whether that's maybe only a few tweaks needed to their product to really bring it to market and start gaining revenue or in a really good space for us to introduce them to other investors that are then ready to invest follow-on funding. You're not idea stage. No. You're, you, you've already got some traction in the market. You've already identified some ways you may be able to scale. And it's your job to help provide that platform to allow people to really just take their existing business to the next level. Exactly. Got you. Very cool. Yeah, because that's a different kind of support needed than right. idea phase, right? Yes. Is there a reason why you narrowed in on that segment of the venture development? I think that it's... You're at a point where your company, like people are really there and have been working on it for a while, so they're ready to see it grow, rather than at the idea stage, maybe it's such a huge pivot that you're like not even interested in that idea anymore. And at the idea stage, there's just so many unknowns because you're still looking for that product market fit, whereas when you're in beta, you have an idea of what you're doing, whether you're making tweaks, they're much smaller, yeah. we're able to help them really just find the focus of what they're trying to do and grow it that way. A lot of our companies are either pre-revenue or in revenue already. That's helpful because it's showing that like they're meeting a need in the market. Definitely. Do you see a variance in success rate between pre-revenue and revenue companies in your accelerator? Not necessarily. I think that mm-hmm. they're all just at different stages, right? Some of our companies maybe find really great partnerships that they then start working with. Others, they may be more hardware-based or in an industry that is maybe a little different in terms of the trajectory that it's taking. For example, one company is focused on using AI to build their workforce because there's an older generation that's now retiring, but they're trying to ensure that there's that knowledge transfer. And Mm. so they're utilizing AI for that, but they're trying to work with corporate and like larger companies that may be like manufacturing compared to a very like B2B business where maybe that company is really just trying to find the right customer. Um, And already that's a little bit easier than trying to get a whole contract with a company. There's a lot of different hoops to jump through, so to say. Yeah, absolutely. It's a completely different type of path forward. Mm -hmm. Now, this may be backing up a tiny bit, but can we speak just for some people who aren't necessarily also entrepreneurs, um, but are interested, why would an entrepreneur at an early age join an accelerator? What are some of the pros of being part of that system? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Many accelerators actually provide access to capital. So with us, we function as a nonprofit, but we have a funder and still get an initial investment of funding. 
Right now, we are at $150,000 of investment for 7% equity through our funder. Once those companies are in the accelerator, they can use that money for hiring. The idea mm. is to scale. They can use it for hiring. They can use it for really anything they want. But a lot of them, because they're focused on that next step, it requires bringing on more people yeah. or maybe having more infrastructure that they couldn't pay for initially without that investment funding. Some of the benefits that I would say is finding that product market fit, your audience, making sure that's solid, because sometimes even if you're at a beta, you need to know that people still want it. We always encourage continuous customer interviews. Another thing is the entire curriculum that we go through for the four months of our accelerator includes sales and marketing and business operations that product market fit, and then preparing to speak with investors. We end with a demo day. We have one in person and one virtual. That's when we bring in those active early stage investors who are ready to learn about new companies, increase their deal flow, and um, potentially invest in your company. We want them to be at that point where they're ready to say, hey, this is what we have. We have a solid idea, and we're ready for more investment to keep growing. In terms of the 150k investment that you originally mm -hmm. get for a startup yeah. you mentioned about hiring would be the first ways in which they spend on that investment is that the main priority you see that's common in these different businesses and if so who do they hire what do they hire yeah, not necessarily, actually. Mm -hmm. That was, uh, I use that example because I know that a lot of people in our current cohort have used that funding for that because they're at that stage of growth where they need um, extra hands. But it could be for infrastructure. Mm -hmm. It could be um, making sure that they have uh, enough to live on, even though it doesn't necessarily have to be that they can use the money for whatever they want. But some people may need like a CTO in that background, but they want to now just focus a little bit more and hone their idea around that. Maybe they are hiring a CTO. Maybe they're using it for marketing or just continued product development. Really, it's just up to them what they want to use that funding for. You are making sure that you're not applying a standard formula to what works for every business, which of course, saying that out loud is like, why would you? But, but depending on the market that they're in, depending on the specific stage that they're in within building out that beta and going to market, yeah. um, that's really great. So they have a lot of flexibility. And then do they also get paired with mentors? Because it's one thing to get money and a support system, but then another to be able to connect with experts in the field who can actually maybe point out some roadblocks or yeah. kind of serve to help them navigate that journey. Yes, that's a really great point. We match each of them with mentors in their industry, like you said. One thing that we do a lot of is surveying them. So at the beginning of the cohorts, they'll fill out like an initial intake survey and set out their goals, like top three, four goals that they want to accomplish in the four months that we have them with us. We'll put them with an expert that can help them reach those goals. And we want to always make sure we're on track with that. So we have different program check-ins that we use for them to meet with our managing director, just to make sure if there's any issues coming up that we address those head on. And I think that's really helpful. Some of those mentors actually become advisors or board members in the future, just depending on the fit between the founder and the mentor you see the longevity and the continued interest that they have in those companies. Generally speaking, does there appear to be a significant difference in terms of positive outcomes for people who have access to those non-capital opportunities and resources like a mentor compared to other ones that don't? 
I'm not sure, actually. I think that um, because each of them have access to it, even after some of our alumni reach out like, hey, do you know somebody that can help me with this? And oh, we're always nice. continuing to connect them. So it's up to them. You know, I think that the initiative lands on both the mentee and the mentor to take that and see where it goes. But some of them may already have a great board of advisors. Some of them may not. And it really just depends on what they're looking for from their mentor sure. and the level of involvement they have. Would you recommend most companies to join an accelerator, if not for the capital, but for the networking or the mentorship, or are there a select few of companies that really benefit from this type of program? Yeah, that's a good question. One thing that I've been learning is that not every company is VC backable Mm. and not every company Mm. should. So it depends on the company, one, of course. Um, But I think that if you have a huge market opportunity, right, and there's space to scale and you have seen that what you need is more money to make this grow. Um, And I mean, everybody needs money, right? But (laughs) um, in the tech space, I think that software has become such a huge piece of what venture capitalists look for because it scales faster. They don't want to invest in real estate as it's a huge undertaking in terms of capital expenditure and tech businesses. Yeah, sure. If you're ready to take that on, yes. Some of the cons though, that I would say that we see in venture capital is the amount of companies that may not get that funding, but then sometimes There's a lot of places to get venture capital. They see so many deals, but they invest in so few. The likelihood of you even getting venture capital funding is low to begin with. And sometimes you may want to bootstrap and sometimes you don't want to give away equity in your business, but there's always that um, balance between what am I willing to give away as a founder? And that also then comes in terms of, does this VC want a board seat? What are they actually giving me in return? Yeah. It's not just money. They need to be able to help you grow your business too. The level of involvement that the VC has is also really important to your growth. And there's just tons to think about when you're really considering whether or not you want VC funding. Yeah. Because the opposite way of finding financing is bootstrapping it yourself. Maybe you work a full-time job as well. But... At the same time, maybe you can just apply for grants. There's Mm -hmm. so much money out there. There's foundations that are willing to help people, and it's really just going out there and finding them. And it seems like in the VC winter that we're experiencing right now, where, you know, average investment rounds are down by a significant amount, that a lot of these other opportunities are, yes, being more attractive because of that, but there also seems to be more of them. Maybe that's just me and the research that Josh and I have done while you know looking for capital to expand our business. But um, have you guys seen that as part of the accelerator too? Have the founders come to you and said, "Hey, am I am I put in the box? Do I have to go through this model with the accelerator, or can I also seek?" opportunities elsewhere. What does that look like for you guys? Yeah. So actually, um, I've spoken with a few founders that have decided to not take the investment that we provide, right? And just pay the program fee to go through the accelerator itself. That way they're not giving up equity and they have the funds to get the mentorship, the coaching, all of our curriculum, and then still meet those investors at demo day. You don't have to take the funding. That's really cool, by the way. For an accelerator, right? Capital is such a big 
portion of it for people mm-hmm. to be like, no, I'm going to pay the fee anyway and just go through. That obviously shows how much value you're providing outside of the capital. But as part of that, the fact that not all founders are attracted to the implied post-money valuation of 150K at 7%. So one, I will say with the, the caveat is that they still need to make it through the application. So there's that piece of it. I don't believe that it's an implied valuation because it's in the form of a safe note. Mm. It's at that next okay. price round right. um, that they'll then right. see that. And I would assume for a lot of the founders and the teams going through the Long Beach Accelerator, you also connect them to potentially their next round after the fact, right? That's the whole point of Demo Day. Exactly. It's really to give them that platform to say, this is just to get you to the next step. Yeah, definitely. Cool. And even after the fact, we have alumni still coming back like, hey, can you introduce me to this investor? So we really try to stay connected with all of our founders um, and continue to support them on their journeys. Backing up, what are some of the accelerators' larger goals? Are you looking for a certain number of cohorts? Are you looking for a certain number of growth or acquisition offers? What are your KPIs to make sure that you are remaining a competitive accelerator and providing as much value as possible to a lot of these local and even non-local founders? Great question. We are part of what they're calling the Launch Beach Initiative through Mm -hmm. the city of Long Beach. And it's the goal to help launch the next 100 startups over the next five years through the accelerator. So that's the accelerator, the partnership with Sunstone Management, Cal State Long Beach, and the city. How many businesses are applying to the accelerator and how many actually get accepted into the accelerator? Great question. We do two to three cohorts every year. We have on average over 100 applicants and eight to 10 that we actually accept into the accelerator. Out of those 8 to 10, how many of those post-accelerator are still viable, still running, have gotten more funding? Yeah, so the stats that we have are the accelerator first cohort was in February of 2021. We've graduated 37 companies since then, not including the current cohort we have going right now. $25 million in follow-on funding has happened for those companies. 12 million in revenue for those companies and seven acquisition offers. Since the start of that accelerator to now, what do you think has changed significantly in the program? Also a great question. I've been here for almost a year and our team is pretty small. It's three of us. And then our board is, I would say about 15 people. I think the quality of the applicants has skyrocketed. Mm, interesting. Um, there's some people that have had really great ideas and been at a really good starting place, but the growth in those four months is astronomical. But then our current cohort has been amazing. Their first pitch practice that they had I was shocked by the quality and just the way that they've continued to be at this higher level, right, that we would expect of a later stage company. That's really interesting. I I, love a good pitch, man. It gives me goosebumps every time. Yeah, no, seriously. You guys had most of your cohorts go through via COVID, right? So we are actually virtual first. We do a week of programming at the beginning, a few days at the end when we have our in-person demo day, but everything else is virtual. We have modules 
twice a week and then every other Friday mm -hmm. we have specific conversations that is a little bit more tailored and focused to the cohort based okay. on uh, maybe their industry or some of the goals that they have sure. that um, are larger between each company. Very cool. It seems like accelerators themselves provide huge value to businesses, but what are some areas do you think could improve or change within an accelerator to actually expand upon that growth and help more underrepresented founders? I think that's the first thing, focusing on those underrepresented founders and making sure that you're getting the word out to the people who need to hear it most. VC is, I would say, very closed and tight-knit. I didn't even learn about VC until about a year and a half ago. Didn't know it was a thing, even going in maybe after your undergrad as, as an analyst or something like that, or like the route that it takes to get there and learning that at 31. I was like, what else don't I know, right? Because it's such a, a close space. There is a lot of disparity in the amount of funding that goes to underrepresented founders. And what we tend to see is called pattern matching. VC funds, typically, let's say they go to a prestigious school, they'll fund students that are coming out of that school or like venture ideas coming yeah. out of that school, or yeah. maybe they're just a white male and they typically get a lot of the funding as well. They get bet on much easier and faster than people that don't typically come through the VC space. That's not to say it's all of them, right. but it's sure. just what the statistics show. Purposefully or not, there's no question that bias is there. And, and according to actually a Crunchbase article from earlier this year, last year, only 1.1% of the about $215 billion in venture capital funding allocated went to companies with black founders. That's still $2.3 billion, but compared to the other 212, 213 billion, it feels like a slap in the face, honestly, whether or not it's intentional. I would agree with you. And if you look even further, there's smaller numbers than that of women of color. And women yeah. is less than 2% as well of the companies that this funding is going to. And so a huge disparity and something that I think needs to be talked about a little bit more um, because there's studies that also show that black founders typically have a higher return on investment for those investors. So you would think that the investors are really trying to chase the money, but that's not what the statistics show either. By not investing in these companies, you're losing out on money. I think typically there is an even more stringent due diligence process that you have to go through um, when you don't match the pattern of what they're used to investing in. It's incredible the lack of exposure that our minority groups don't see from a VC point. I felt that when you said that you didn't even know what a VC was to a year ago because I can remember not knowing anything about tech or coding till college. And I was like, what is that? What do they do? It's always something within do a trade school or participate in the sport in our community, it's really rare to actually see a technical person or a black person in tech. And it wasn't until later on that I actually got to see a CEO that looked just like me, that felt just like me, that acquired to my values and my tastes in life. Why do you think that minorities like us don't have that exposure? Do they not see the value or is it something completely different? I don't think that it's a, a value issue. I think that it's just what we're exposed to, mm. right? Most professional athletes 
are black people, right? And we think that's the path. You want to be an entertainer. You want to be an athlete, right? But when there's also a lack of minorities represented in these companies, you're not going to be exposed to it. Like, even outside of VC, I didn't even know consulting was exactly. a job. And I'm just like, it blows my mind, right? Because in a lot of African-American cultures, there's this idea of you're either a doctor, yep. you're an engineer, mm-hmm. or you're a lawyer, because those are the lucrative careers. And it's not a bad thing. There is a lot of stability in those careers, and they are lucrative. That's what people want for their kids anyways. I think that being an entrepreneur is a huge risk. And we usually don't have, we as in minorities, Mm -hmm. don't usually have the financial security to just be like, hey, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to be poor for a while. Whereas Mm -hmm. the majority typically may get a lot of funding from family, right? Um, Their families will let them be like, hey, yeah, you just graduated. Here's $100,000 to start a company when we just don't have income like that. And typically, too, I think that black people have to really focus on who you're going to be taking care of, right? There's other people that are counting on you. And for you to not focus on the responsibilities that you have, you could be letting down a lot of people. It's really generational. The statistics show that Black entrepreneurs are more likely to be in the lowest third of household incomes. Nearly half of white entrepreneurs are in the highest third of incomes, while only a third of black entrepreneurs are. It's a matter of (laughs) our history doesn't show us being predominantly in these wealthy backgrounds, so we lack the access. And typically, we have to find access in other areas. What are some ways that we, the new generation, you and I, or allies that we have in our community, can actually help support more minorities, black women specifically? What are some ways in which we can help that don't necessarily have to be capital intensive, but could be helpful all the same? Yeah. I think even just sharing the message with other people that you know, right? This is what my friend is trying to do. Another issue that's there is that typically, and this is just human nature, when there's somebody that's really close to you trying to do something, you doubt them more than a stranger. So making sure that you're just being supportive of the people around you that are trying to do something different. If you want a different outcome, you have to do something new. I actually just read a statistic earlier today that said that African-Americans have 62 cents to the dollar of the white family income in 2021. So it would take 513 years to reach income parity. Even outside of entrepreneurship, there's so much work that needs to be done to make sure that we have the potential even to live the same life as our counterparts. And it's not through want or through trying either, because I I was looking into this too, and according to research in 2020 by Babson College, black women actually started businesses at a higher rate than any other demographic in the United States. The want is there, and it saddens me to think about how many new, innovative, paradigm-shifting products and services um, and networks could be built if we could provide the right resources to the right people at the right time in their journey. Yeah, another statistic that came out years ago actually was that black women are the most educated in the US. The number of black women with undergraduate degrees outpaces any other race, any other community 
in the United States. We have highly educated people who are looking to actually go their own way and create economic wealth um, for themselves. But we just don't match what people are used to. There's a fear around that. There's always a fear around the unknown. But if you're looking at returns and statistics and their own personal initiative and drive to get things done and even historically we're a very resilient um, group of people yeah the statistics they suck really and it definitely needs to be something that changes and there is actually a lot of help right now and the amount of people and organizations that are focusing on supporting black and brown entrepreneurs throughout the country, which is really, it's good to see. It's inspiring and it makes me hopeful for the future. Speaking on the different organizations that you support, can you speak on the ones that you like the most or the ones that you are favoring for? Yeah, there's a lot. So there's VC companies, there's organizations like 501c3s, other nonprofits that Mm -hmm. focus on black and brown founders. Some of the nonprofits are like Black VC. Love that. Yeah, they're great. I will say these are just the ones that I probably follow closest. There's Black VC, there's Fearless Fund, there's Backstage Capital, which is actually yes. one of the first She's ones. She's amazing. Arlen. Oh yeah. my goodness. Yeah, yeah. Shameless plug for her. Wow. She has a new book. Shout out to out. Arlen. You're amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't read her first book, but I also didn't know she was a writer until seeing her post on LinkedIn. So I was like, perfect. Now I have one book to read and another one to pre-order. Yeah, I think that she is amazing. There's HBCU VC that focuses on the HBCU community and getting them into VC. Some of the VC companies are Mac venture capital oh my goodness yeah. he's great marlon too. yeah so i actually got to meet him at an event at usc which was awesome there's pledge la which is la based through the annenberg foundation i think that they have something really good going on right now in terms of really just focusing on the community um yeah. to empower people that are typically under-resourced under-invested in Shout out also to Collab Capital and Joel yes. Burke Solomon who's ah. running that. Harlem Capital, yes. love the people okay. down there. Brandon you, Bryant. <laughs> also, the big tech companies, they get a lot of flack for having only 8% of their workforce being black. But I know at Google, we have the Black Genius Academy that's working mm-hmm. in tandem with Career Karma with Ruben Harris and the team over there that's actually helping different minority groups get opportunities in tech, knowing exactly what a software engineer does, what a a UX UI designer does, and how to get those different opportunities, not just through schooling, but from alternative means like boot camps, certificates, and providing that access to different people. In terms of governments, though, what do you think local governments can play in that role of helping minority Mm. groups into tech, into funding, into entrepreneurship and startups? Okay, great question, but I have one more thing to say about the previous question. She's really amazing, and she's also a really great person to follow on X, (laughs) as well as LinkedIn and Instagram. She has taught me a lot and in terms of what is venture capital, how do you get into venture capital? And I think, yeah, she's amazing. Really great information. So for anybody that's listening that wants to really learn more, Nicole's your girl. Um, In terms of um, corporate entities that are really doing a lot, Google 
for sure one of them. Um, their Google for Startups program. Oh my goodness. Amazing. Um, Solomon right there. She was yeah. head of that for a while. Yeah, nice. And Amazon that's, yes. that's doing a lot of really great things for businesses too and businesses of color. Um, I don't have any personal experience with them, but it's good to see that these really large companies are really working to do something too. There's grants that they could be offering or making sure that people know that there is money out there to yeah. help people start and grow their businesses. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of resources, but people, especially people of color, have, have this maybe negative connotation or maybe a fear around working with a government Most entity, definitely. right? Distrust, perhaps. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I think maybe being a little bit more visible in the community mm -hmm. could also help, too. There's community events all the time. Show up and let people know who you are and the services that you provide, but then don't make it a hassle to access those services. Big time. That was something that we tried to follow when both Josh and I actually used to work for the mayor's office here. I think that actually gives us a unique perspective as founders because one of the ethos that we tried to live by was meet the people where they're at. And you cannot expect people to come to some big, scary, shiny building in downtown every single day for simple things and not give them as easy and as accessible of resources as possible if you're trying to create change. You need to go to them. You're the one with the upper hand there. Yeah, uh, I would totally agree with that because I think that when I was working for the state, we were working with workforce development and really trying to um, increase the diversity um, in the representation of the employment um, at the department that I was at and make it reflective of what California actually looks like. But the statistics showed that we had 5,000 employees in our department mm. and I believe 50 identified as black. And it, that kind of blew my mind. I'll wow. start there wow. <laughs> because yeah. I did also think about the fact that maybe sometimes people of color that are also mixed with something else, we'll just put two or more mm. races mm. because there is a belief that I think some people have when you put black or mark that on the demographic information that it lessens your chances of getting mm. that job. So I don't remember how many actually had the number that was two or more races, but just the fact that only 50 identified as black throughout the yeah. entire state was disheartening yeah. and informed the work that I was doing. Mm. And so all that to say, there's a low representation of black people, but there's so many of us doing very amazing things. We're just so underrepresented and at the same time under-resourced. Trying to go after something new, trying to create a better future for yeah. yourself through entrepreneurship, trying to create generational wealth, economic empowerment, all of those things are so important, but we need the support in order to do that and become more represented. I think having the allies in place to make sure yeah. that resources are available, even just information. You don't even have to give me money. <laughs> some, I need some know-how <laughs> yeah. because it's typically not given to right. us. A lot of times, of course, money is always nice, but a lot of times mm -hmm. that's not necessarily what you're looking for. Sometimes it's the knowledge capital that you're mm -hmm. getting and the access. For someone like me as an ally, as just a general community member, even if I wasn't a founder, I think that there's already a lack of the general community getting involved in entrepreneurship and local entrepreneurship because for a lot of people, you do think either VC or just mm -hmm. tech, you think entrepreneurship at large and you're like, oh, it's way up here. It's at mm -hmm. 50,000 feet. 
But the reality is most of it's happening on the ground in our very communities. It's us working out of a co-working space for two years, that sort of thing. Right. How can someone as an ally make sure that we're supporting founders, especially minority founders, on their journey? I think just learning about different black businesses, right? Because it doesn't have to be VC. It doesn't have to be yeah. money. Really, it's are you supporting and sharing on social media? That's the yeah. easiest, low impact thing that you could do to really support. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that buying from them. I think that some people see the issue too. And it's not even an issue. It's just what the reality is as a founder in terms of I'm a small business owner, so I do have to charge a little bit more for this candle. Mm -hmm. It is $20 where I could go to Target and get mm -hmm. one for five, but you're supporting a local business and the larger I get, the lower my costs can be. Um, and even looking at that, right? Because people are like, I could get this cheaper somewhere else. Exactly. But if you're really trying to be an ally and support, if you're buying a candle in the first place, you should actually already have disposable income that you can use to buy the $20 candle. Exactly. Or maybe just share their information, mm -hmm. right? Just let people know. Yeah. Because the more people that know, the more opportunities they have to turn somebody into a customer. You are a major force in the community already with your work in the Accelerator. Thank but you. What other ventures are you doing currently right now yeah. to help support that vision that you have? Thanks for that question. I am really looking towards creating a community of black founders and funders to really, one, reduce isolation in the entrepreneurial journey, right? Awesome. There's a lot of people that don't have a co-founder, yeah. and so they're right. working by themselves, and they're in their homes, right? Having a space where you can go and meet people, connect, network to, one, maybe you're gonna meet somebody that has been in an accelerator, and they have information that you may not have had before and they can help you grow your business having events to help people network and just get to know other founders really because it is a lonely journey and it's a long journey nobody wants to be alone and it helps to protect your own mental health too all that to say is it's something in the works it's coming the organization is called fortitude you can follow us on instagram at okay. underscore fortitude.co and then i actually have a small business with my husband we are photographers we focus on black love black events like life moments which also are underrepresented you can find us on instagram at happily ever esho that's e-s-h-o we do weddings, we do events, we do corporate headshots, corporate events. We have a ton of different things that we do. Don't use AI for headshots, people. Please support oh. a local. That's something, I know we're in AI, but there's an explosion of tools. But the reality mm -hmm. is not only are most of them still not good enough, but it's still better to support local if you can because i guarantee you amen yes <laughs> and we'll make sure to add all your socials right there in the show notes for our listeners to go and view them and follow you and support you awesome and do our work in the community thank yeah. you so much thanks for having me guys this was great thank keep doing what you're doing and that's a wrap everyone we really hope you enjoyed this episode marisa is truly amazing and we highly recommend that you follow her and support all of her work on linkedin and other platforms everything you need will be linked below and remember, this is just one facet of the personal growth ecosystem we're building at Anu. To be one of the first to fully experience what we're building, sign up to our waitlist at anu.ai and keep an eye out on our socials for the latest with what we're doing. And as always, thank you, Randy. Thank you, Josh. Should we get back to work? Yeah, I think so.